Yes, good morning. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 28. And while you're turning there, I got a really cool story. Man, last night a few of us went to Grace Fellowship Church, the, as, we, as Kara mentioned in the prayers, the, uh, the church that planted New Hope back in 2003. And um, so I didn't know they were going to do this. The reason we went was because they're, 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 they're rebranding, they're doing this new um, uh, Make and Multiply initiative and kind of centering their entire church focus around discipleship. And it's just, it's really great. So we kind of wanted to go and kind of raise the New Hope flag and just say we were supportive of the, uh, the mothership. And... Um, but so that's where we really had no expectations of being there. But then while we were there, uh, Pastor Shea, he says, hey, uh, grace has always been about make and multiply. Let me show that to you. And he actually starts going through the different churches and extension campuses and everything that they've planted over the years. And he starts mentioning like Grace Shrewsbury and a couple other churches. And, I'm reali- and it occurs to me, like as I'm sitting there, like oh, he's going to mention New Hope. You know, and he gets like two slides in because there's like like eight or nine churches that Grace has planted over the years, and I was like, and as soon as like I, I got to represent, like like I got to do something. So as soon as he said, and I'm like, woo, and like Brian Wagner was sitting next to me, he's like, you know, somebody sitting next, to me? you know, um, but uh, but yeah, and then and then the Pastor Shea was like, oh, and back. that's great. So anyway, uh, you can watch the video. I'll uh, I'll actually send out the link on that. Um, <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, so um, here's the thing today. Uh, sermons are supposed to really have one point. One point that, like, if you leave here today, like, and somebody asks you, what was the sermon about? Um, it was supposed to be this one thing. And I'm going to tell you what that one thing is right up front here. So that way, when you're ha- having uh, chili or whatever it is that's back there, because um, I'm the only thing that's standing between you and lunch, um, the, when, you're, when you're eating your lunch today, you'll be able to uh, say, hey, somebody was, like, somebody was in the kids' ministry. Hey, what was the sermon about? The sermon is about this. It's that purpose and promise is found where heaven and earth meet. Purpose and promise is found where heaven and earth meet. Um, so we're continuing in this series uh, on the patriarchs. We're continuing this series through the book of Genesis. And beginning in chapter 28, beginning in verse 10, Jacob, now we'll start right there, Jacob, Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the Let's be frank, Jacob the brat, Jacob the, uh, the younger brother, Jacob the one who had uh, manipulated his brother's blessing and his brother's um, birthright from him, Jacob the one who, if his brother saw him right now, might try to kill him. In fact, that's why he left. Uh, the second line in the, in the text there, Jacob left. He left it because he left where he was. Uh, he left his family. He left what he knew because Esau, his brother, sought to kill him. Anyway, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, about 550 miles. Uh, Jacob was banished. He was essentially an outcast. And he came to a certain place. And stayed there that night because the sun had set. That's a very, very important phrase. A certain place. 
Like, it wasn't like a named place. It was a place between places. It, it was like it was a non-place. Or, or a place where you wouldn't expect religious things to happen. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to go to sleep. Sleep is interesting because sleep is not a time of wakeful control. Uh, Jacob is uh, sleeping, and his wakeful world is one of fear and loneliness and terror and guilt. But then, you ever thought about the vulnerability of sleep, which can give way to dreams? When, when we sleep, permits us to give way to dreams, which can give us kind of like an alternate vision of the future. And that's what happened to Jacob. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on the top it reached to heaven. Um, or some translations say it was a ladder set up on earth and it reached to heaven. Some translations would just say there was a stairway to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So this ladder or this stairway to heaven, it, it brings of the ancient world uh, ziggurats. Ziggurats were these imposing big structures that the Sumerians used as temples. They had this stairway that led to like a sacred room at the top where in which was found a god or a goddess or a statue of a god or a goddess. And the stairway was supposed to be a path to heaven. It was exactly a would have been an example in that ancient world, in that ancient Mesopotamian world, would have been exactly the sort of place that you would have expected a religious or a God experience to happen. But this experience, this experience took place in a certain place. And then what does it say there? It says that it wasn't a statue of a God or a goddess that stood at the top of the stairs. It was the Lord it was God who stood at the top of there and looked down. And so this is what God said to Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this promise from God kind of said, you know, Jacob, this didn't start with you. And it's not going to end with you. So regardless of Jacob's past, it's interesting that here this text shows us that it is God who moves the story forward. It is God who decides to intervene in the places where he sees fit to help move the story forward, even in the midst of Jacob's sin, even in the midst of Jacob's deceitfulness. 
And it's interesting that there's four things, I think, that, that this promise kind of outlines. Um, first of all, it's land. There's something uh, about land that clearly seems to be uh, in view here. God is saying to Jacob and his descendants, I'm going to lead you into the land that I'll show you. Also, there's um, a promise of offspring and descendants. Um, And God tells Jacob that his offspring are going to be like the sand of the desert or like the stars of the sky. If you had two things that were in absolute abundance in the ancient Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian world, it would have been the sand at your feet and the stars in the sky. Those are two things that would have been very easy to be able to say, like, those numbers are just uh, astronomical. Those numbers are just more than I can fathom. And here, uh, God is telling this guy who has taken a nap in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to multiply you like the sand of the desert, like each individual grain of sand and like the stars of the sky. And you're going to spread. You're going to spread north, south, east, and west. Ultimately, we are going worldwide with this. And here's this guy, Jacob, and he's sitting there. And he's like, you know, I'm just trying to get some sleep, God. Who would, what a God had been to Jacob up to that point? You know, I, I, you get the impression from the, 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 the stories that we looked at last week that Jacob had probably thought, you know, maybe um, this whole uh, God thing is, is, maybe it's just a myth. Maybe it's something that, that, that my granddad, Abraham, had a really close relationship with God, and, and, and maybe that really was just something that was, was really for him. I'm not sure if it's really all about me. What has Jacob done with his relationship with God up until this point, but turn it into something to control, something to manipulate, something in order to kind of uh, turn the attention towards himself? been a very selfish way of looking at this relationship with God. But it's interesting that, you know, what had the first thing said to Abraham was, no, no, it's not, you're not blessed for your own selfish gain. You are blessed not to the exclusion of others. You're blessed for the benefit of others. You're blessed to be a blessing. And now here God, he's calling Jacob back and saying, no, no, pay attention, Jacob. Pay attention, Jacob. This isn't about you. So continuing on after the promise, Jacob awoken from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the and this is the gate of heaven. So so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, and the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, it will be with me that I go and will give me bread to, oh no, he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread and um, to eat and clothing to wear so that I might come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be, uh, shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And 
All that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, it seems like Jacob is moving a little bit the ball down the field, and, and that's good. There's certainly something that's unexplainable about this counter encounter, and he is naming God as one who, is, who showed up in that moment. Um, but what do you notice there? I mean, it was kind of like a, 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 an if-then statement. Well, if God will uh, you know, actually be with me and keep me in this way, uh, then, you know, uh, then I'll worship him. Then, then he shall be my God. Uh, like, you know, Jacob, you don't have to worry about God keeping his promises. Um, let's talk about you. But this is a fascinating little story. It's a fascinating tale that's something that has given um, an awful lot of identity to the people of God over the past 3,000 years. Um, I think about my own certain place. So I mentioned um, uh, Grace Fellowship Church. So before, my family started going to Grace Fellowship Church when I was in um, middle school. I was 12 years old. It was May 1994. Before that time, my family had been a part of a, a, a church. It was a Methodist church that met in a space that was very similar to this. Um, and I would have said up until that time that had I been um, looking for a God experience, had I been looking for God to show up, uh, a place like this would have made a lot of sense to me, especially at that time. It's like, oh, that's where God things happen. But then when I was in, in seventh grade, my family gets invited to Grace Fellowship Church. And if you've never been there, Grace is a big white warehouse. There's really no windows. There's just a few windows. Um, you really can't tell what's going on in there. And it's just this big warehouse. And we go in, and the whole thing is completely designed against everything that I ever would have thought a church is like. There's, there's an auditorium. There's not a sanctuary. It's an auditorium like I would have expected to see, like a rock concert. Um, and, of course, we have a lot of more of these churches now. But back in 1994 and back in the mid-90s, they were not as popular. Um, or at least not they were starting to become more and more popular, but they, they weren't as common. Um, so you walk into this big auditorium and you sit in these really comfortable seats, amen? And you start thinking like, wow, this is not what I was expecting. And then there's like um, a, the band starts to play. It's not like an organ with like a hymnal with like, you know, you ever play the organ music and you kind of like feel your, the back of your throat kind of vibrating because you're listening to the organ and it's kind of like, uh. Anyway, so they start playing with drums and guitars and electric guitars and they had this saxophone player that was just like, I played the saxophone at the time. It was just so cool. And I'm thinking like, surely God is in this place and I, I wouldn't have known it. I wasn't expecting God to show up in the middle of a warehouse in Timonium. And then years later, I started getting into music. I started getting into music very um, uh, heavily. I wasn't really much of, a, um, uh, of an academic. I really wasn't much of a wasn't much of an athlete. I became an academic later on, but I never was an athlete. Um, so what I did when I was in high school is I spent an awful lot of time in my room listening to music. And I would say that it was music that, for me, was one of the first things that I experienced that made me think that there was something more to this universe than myself. 
There was something more. It was something that kind of stirred something in me. I, I, would, I would be the guy who would literally, like, I, would, I had my stereo that was up on my shelf, and I would turn up the music so loud, and I would listen to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Stones and the Who and Eric Clapton, and I would listen to this music so loud in STP and Pearl Jam and Metallica. It was, it was like I would listen to it so loud that I would want to get my ears so close to the speakers, and so loud that I just wanted to be inside of the music. I felt something from that music. There was something about it that made me come alive. And in a while, in a way, it made me think like, wow, you know, is God trying to tell me something? Is there something about this experience that's making me kind of wake up? It's, It's as if God is trying to speak to me, certainly not whisper, but speak to me even in something like this, God is showing up in the place that I was not expecting him to show up. And then one more thing, a few years after that, um, I got a little bit, uh, you know, cooler. Um, and I started, you know, developing relationships, not only with um, other friends, um, and, but also with uh, girls. Um, and I started dating this woman, Amy. Uh, and she was wonderful. She was this, this 19-year-old, beautiful college girl. And there was something about the relationship that I had with her. There was something about the intimacy that, that, that we had and the way we, that she looked at me. And there was just something about that relationship that made me think that this, this has to be God. There's, there's something about this that is pointing me towards. It's, it's pointing to something greater. There's something about this relationship. I mean, what is it for you? What is it for you, for you that was the thing that seems to be the, that experience that you have that, that God is kind of pointing to something else? That, that, that you feel like God is saying, like, it, it, he's getting your attention. Maybe it's a season of joy. Maybe it's a time of accomplishment. Maybe it's a season of, of pain. Maybe it was relational strife. Maybe it was, was hardship. Maybe it was, was journey. Maybe it was like the college life and the years that you've uh, kind of explored your education um, and explored the things of this world. Maybe it was some sort of a powerful trip, um, uh, 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 like a, a uh, powerful trip, a, a journey. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was um, a time of confusion. Maybe it was a season of doubt that you struggled through. Maybe um, it was perhaps anger. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe you wasn't, weren't sure how to process, the, process something, but in time you realized, wow, God was in this, and I didn't even know it until afterwards. You see, here's my thing. My thing is that if God can be anywhere, then with that, is that does that mean that God is in everything or anything? Um, No, we got to be careful with that. I think that the problem with that is that that is pantheonism. The idea that if that if God is um, in the tree or in the rock, um, finish your training, you will. Then he is uh, might just say, well, then why don't I just worship trees and rocks? Like, no, the idea that God is in and through everything is not the same as that God is everything. So it leads us to the question of of how do we focus our attention? Is there something that all these mysterious encounters, things like like Jacob having a dream or things like... um, 
me, you know, uh, meeting Christ in a warehouse or, or having uh, time in music or time in relationships? Is there, is there something that all of this is actually pointing to to try to help us locate what God is actually calling us to pay attention to? I think that what Jacob discovered is that his purpose and his promise and the purpose and the promise of his people were going to be found not just in every little Thing, although those things might point them to something larger, it's going to be section of heaven and earth. Human life, religion that seeks to accomplish enough good deeds so that you can earn a trip up that stairway. True life is about seeking that point, seeking that person where heaven and earth meet. And for a time, this was the temple, right? This was the temple for Israel was a physical representation of the, of the intersection of heaven and earth. It was where worship happened. But then something happened that kind of revolutionized the entire story. You see, regardless of the faithfulness or the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, God stepped in at a time of His choosing. Paul says, in the fullness of time, God stepped in. And just said, I'm moving the story forward because this always has been my story and this always will be my story. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is a, uh, is a rocking chapter. I mean, it's just tons happening uh, in this chapter. It begins with this kind of deep, like philosophical language about how um, in the beginning was the... Was and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's just, it begins with this very kind of big, wide, open, awesome language. Um, and then there's this story, the end of chapter 1, and starting in verse 43, John 1, chapter 40, uh, verse 33, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found found Nathanael and said to him, "Um, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, like, you know, I I read that, like, this is kind of like, Little town in the middle of nowhere. Nazareth was uh, had a, had a town probably two thousand people. I noted my Bible. Nazareth probably had a little town about two thousand people at the time. Just a little back nowhere town. Philip uh, Nathaniel says, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on." Philip says to him, "Come and see." So so Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit." I thought that was a very kind of um, a funny sort of way that, that, that Jesus, almost tongue-in-cheek, kind of sees Nathaniel from a long way uh, and kind of yells, Behold an Israelite indeed, who in whom there is no receipt. I mean, first of all, what's Jesus referencing here, right from the beginning? Or what's John referencing here? He's referencing the Jacob story. I mean, first of all, you get that deception idea in, in whom there is no deceit, but also Jacob would change his name to Israel. So already, if you're reading this in the first century context, your mind's already starting to think about Jacob. But I think of like <laughs> this, this, this idea, I, when I read that, behold an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit, I thought of the end of Iron Man. 
when, um, so like uh, Iron Man, awesome movie about, you know, this guy has this powerful suit, um, <clears throat> and he kind of does it all on his own because he's brilliant. And then the end of the credits roll, and then the last um, scene is uh, Tony Stark, the main character, gets woken up in the middle of the night. And he walks out into his living room, and there's Samuel Jackson. There's Nick Fury. And Nick Fury goes, he's kind of looking out the window, and he goes, I am Iron Man. Mr. Stark, you think you're the world's only superhero? And it, he said, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. I mean, what's, Tony, what's Nick Fury saying? saying he's saying, y- you think you did all this cool stuff on your own? You ain't seen nothing yet. Who you are alone is nothing compared to who you are with others. So there's Jesus, and he says this to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel said to him, he said exactly the same thing Tony Stark said, you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. And I saw you there, you know. So like, yeah, I, I saw you under the fig tree. You know, I don't know if I was like up on a mountain or, or what. But Nathaniel asked him, um, Rabbi, are the son of God. That, that apparently did everything it needed to. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, um, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, that, that's what it does for you? Like, that's it? You're going to see greater things than me, uh, than these. You ain't seen nothing yet. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and you will see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So again, what's happening here? What's John referencing? He's referencing Jacob and the ladder and the stairway to heaven. But it's, it's interesting there that, that in Jacob's story, the ladder is in kind of a certain place, uh, a non-place, uh, a nowhere place. But here, it's interesting that in that passage... Both you get the reference to the Son of Man at the end, but then what does Nathaniel call him earlier in the passage? Calls him the Son of God and the King of Israel. You get heaven, and you get earth, and purpose and promise happen where heaven and earth meet. Heaven and earth meet in the person of Jesus. See, Jacob still doesn't get it. He's still thinking um, uh, that, that, that uh, this is about me. You know, if God does this for me, then he'll be my God. But God's saying, actually, no, Jacob, this was always my story. Um, but the good news with that is, and the good news for us, even in the days that we don't get it, in the days that we struggle, in the days, the days that we uh, have that pain and that suffering, the truth is that God is in it. God is interested in um, redeeming us. God is interested in staying with us with his redemptive presence. Uh, Take a look back for a moment um, at the book of Isaiah in chapter 43. I find this is just a fascinating little little, couple little verses. Chapter right at the beginning of Isaiah 43, it says, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. I mean, what's that saying there? It's saying like, hey, I'm your author, you person of God. Fear not, 
redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I'm reminded of um, that, that, that passage, reminds me of, of the words of John the Baptist when he's baptizing people in the Jordan. And he says, You know, I baptize you with water, but there is one, there is one in Jesus Christ who is going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. You see, God is not interested in forsaking us because he wants to be a part of this whole thing. He wants us to be the center of who he is and the center of his entire story. He wants to give us land. He wants to, uh, us to anticipate the new creation. Uh, the, the land that he's ant- uh, Go, uh, going to give us is that um, that inherited land from, from that we see in Revelation twenty one the, the the meeting of heaven and earth. He wants to give us offspring and descendants to try to multiply our reach uh, of disciples, making disciples. As I mentioned, kind of from the the stuff at Grace last night. Um, he wants to give us a blessing. He wants us to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing, and he's going to do that through the, the Great Commission that says, "Go and make disciples of all." baptized in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit. Serve what I've commanded you, and I'm with you. I'm going to be with you when you do it. I find it so powerful, those words from Paul. Even when you don't get it, he's going to be there. Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants us to pay attention. He wants us to get, uh, to wake, to get woken up by those things trying to point towards him, but he wants to remind us that that purpose, that that promise, that the truth found in every little thing, purpose and promise is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to, uh, to this church, um, to my friends who are in this room. I pray that um, this story would uh, awaken something in us, would help, help us to consider an alternative vision of the future that you would have for us, that we can consider what is it that you're calling us to, what is it that is our purpose, what is it um, that we are promised. And Father, I just ask that you would remind us all that, we are, that, that, that those answers are found in the person of Jesus. Um, Father, we just ask that uh, you strengthen us and also... Um, that you would uh, bless the food that we are about to have together in our, um, in our, in our lunchtime. And Father, we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.